Hello and welcome, Almost 30 Podcast. Hello, we are glad you're here. Hey everyone, it's Linz and Krista. It's your old pals. Wet hair, don't care. Wet hair, don't care. That was nice of you. <laughs> what? That you filmed with wet hair <laughs> because I came early. And it was the only time I'm on time. I was like, oh, I'm on time today and we're not I, I shooting was, right now. I was in the shower and saw an outline of a figure outside of my Were you scared? Bathroom. Well, I had a moment where I was like, well... If this is it, this is it. I know. The shower would be quite the way to go. Why is it? It is. It's like movies have made us scared to take showers alone. Totally. I'm scared to take a shower alone at mm-hmm. the house. I'm like, oh my God, they're going to get me right when I'm most vulnerable. Completely. Well, I've thought about, I go through less and less. When I was watching Law & Order more, I would go through scenarios where I'm like, this is what I would do. 100%. So I'd make sure I'd scream loud enough so Jillian upstairs could hear me. Yes. I might like throw things at the ceiling that, so that she would know. Totally. Um, What else? I'd grab the squeegee and like reverse it and yeah, use it use as a weapon. Yeah, use as a weapon. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's like a shark gouge the eyes. Even that, I'm like, I'm still dead. That's the whole thing is like <laughs> Law & Order and then what was it? SVU and all that stuff, it makes people <laughs> like you're walking home from work and you're like, all right, so they're coming at my left and they're going to drag me and rape me behind this dumpster. Like, what am I going to do? Everyone's walking with their keys between yes. their knuckles. You, yeah. you like then in your head are like constantly thinking of what you would do in these scenarios that are like so dark. I've also had thoughts about what I would say if I was in a situation where I think I could actually get out of it with my words, where it's like being really compassionate and kind to the person I that totally wants to hurt know. you. I'm like, like look I'm in their eyes. Them. <laughs> totally. I think about that all the time. I'm like, I'm going to make them realize it was their parents Literally, that hurt them. <laughs> I'm going to get them to talk about their mom. Uh, I, I've totally thought that. I've actually thought that with people uh, just on the street. I'm like, oh, I could flip them. Totally. You know, make them... Like who? Be nice. Like was, a stranger or yes, like a... Like flip them. Like make them... No. <laughs> <laughs> like there was one time we were walking on the beach. It was like Justin and I, and this guy walked up to him. And he's like, and he's like, hey, there's this like satanistic ritual later at two or something. I was like, what'd you say? And he was like, and it kind of like threw off his like scared thing. He's like, there's like a satanistic ritual at two. I was like, why the fuck would I go to that? Like, why would I go to that? And he's like, Ugh. but it's like these people are in like such a mode where they're just like almost. Well, people aren't normally pay, quote unquote paying yes, attention to them. Totally. So they just keep going. Totally. So when you engage, they're like, <laughs> totally. yeah, like oh. it's like a glitch in the system. I'm like, because <laughs> 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 no one's coming. Or what if I was like, and then again, too, what if I was like, oh, perfect. Sure, man. And we just like call <laughs> what it time? What time? Yeah. <laughs> like, do you need chips? <laughs> I've got like snacks. That would be actually, that's actually a funny ass skit. So then they're like, will you come and you like set up a picnic station? That's literally a Portlandia skit. That's waiting, 100% a Portlandia skit where you set up a picnic. You're like, oh, this is great. Like, I'm so glad they invited us. <laughs> oh, fuck. It was so, yeah. You're watching Portlandia during this time. I've loved. Portlandia is amazing. It's so funny. It's so funny. And it's so quick. Yes. I like just these quick little skits. So it doesn't drag on. And then you kind of revisit it later on. And Fred Armisen Number is one. unbelievable. He's unreal. <laughs> the best actor. Unreal. Well, he's just always in character. Always. Always in character. Women and women first are is the best. <laughs> I like, what was the one? Yeah, they 
I was telling you in the car, but <laughs> where they were realizing that like women were starting to get more rights or something. So they made that song that was like, what about men? And it's like, they're doing this like whole performance where they're like saying, what about men the whole time? It was, it's like unreal. Dude. Yeah. What have you guys been watching out there? I know. I you, need some you, new racks. Oh, I watched um, the phenomenon, which Milana recommended to us. It's not on Netflix. It's like you have to rent it on YouTube or something. What's it about? So it's about off the coast of San Diego. Those fighter pilots had, you know, had uh, zeroed in on a couple UFOs. And but then they they kind of like broke down the history Mm -hmm. and they actually. For me, it was the most interesting part was there was a UFO landing in Zimbabwe mm-hmm. and there was a school where the children ran out because it was on the edge of their playground they ran out to the craft and they were like a couple meters away from these beings and were looking right in their eyes they all have the same account they've all been mm-hmm. talked to separately by therapists and things like that and even 30 years later because this was I guess late 80s early 90s same account yeah it was amazing and they they recounted experiencing like ESP communication. So they just had like this knowing Yeah, this little girl was describing that the being was, was saying, you know, if you don't take care of the planet, it's mm-hmm. going to get really bad. Just like in little kids. Totally. Talk, yeah. This is so funny. It's like, God, the aliens just keep coming down saying the I same know. old thing for forever. They're like, Hey guys, please this time, please, Please now, will you take care of the planet? Be nice. Every time. They're like, take care of the planet. And then they were also um, sharing accounts of when there have been UFOs on radars around nuclear sites Mm -hmm. and how they've deactivated like Mm -hmm. nuclear. Yeah, there was nuclear, there was like five nuclear or seven nuclear reactors, I think, in the Southwest, the Mm -hmm. Pacific Southwest, and they deactivated, they like melted overnight. Yeah. Doing the work. Crazy. (laughs) Doing the work. (laughs) Which it reminds me of, um, when you were little, did you guys ever learn about Bermuda Triangle? Mm -hmm. I will honestly, nothing captivated me more than Bermuda Triangle. Really? When I was little. Nothing. I swear to you, I was on like a tip. We went to Bermuda and I thought about it a lot. Of course. I prayed. That was, it was like for years, like I wrote, I wrote papers on it. I was just like, whenever I could, I wanted to learn about that. And now I kind of understand. I'm like, oh, it's like some sort of glitch. Mm-hmm. in the system or something it's some sort of portal yes i actually it's funny though because that really got me into to otherworldly stuff in a way but i haven't gone back to figure out exactly what it is i just kind of assume i know what it is but i actually need to figure out what it is by educating myself on elizabeth april talked about it recently oh she did someone in her community had asked about it and that's basically what she said she said yeah. it's just like an a very almost like a black hole yeah of sorts totally. so like a portal and I actually don't remember the specifics around it, but yeah, she talked about it recently. Really? Yeah. Hmm. You should do you a should video go. on it. Yeah. yeah I, I should now do it. <laughs> hey guys, I'm here to tell you about what's happening in the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> I would actually love that. I actually, that, that would be like a good one to just deep dive into those. Yes. What else was another one when we were little? Yeah. I was thinking crop circles were big when we were little. Mm, yeah. Cause I grew up in where signs was yes. filmed, everybody. Was it really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No way. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know Signs. So Signs is um, that movie with, oh fuck, I forget his name. But it was with, um, but the 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 parent in it was, who was the guy in Braveheart? Rob Schneider. No. <laughs> Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. <laughs> Rob Schneider. Um, 
So anyway, in 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 signs, it's basically like uh, centered around the crop circles that were popping up in this town, and they kind of gave it like more of a demonic alien Perfect. feel. So love it, um, a classic. Yeah, it was very, it was quite scary at the time that I watched it. But yeah, it was filmed in my town. I never seen it. I've never seen a crop circle in person. That'd be cool. To, I know. Actually, that'd be cool. Would be cool. I was watching a documentary on this woman that she goes all over the world to different crop circles and feels the energy, and she was saying that. There's certain numbers. So there's certain sacred geometric patterns that happen when they see crop circles. And there's a patterning of numbers where specific numbers feel positively charged. And then specific numbers of the sacred geometric patterns feel negatively charged. And that there was one time where she was in this one and she's like, honestly, before I walked into the crop circle, it felt like I was hitting a wall. Wow. She's like, it felt like a jello. Like I couldn't go in. And then a few seconds later, she's like, I was eventually like let in to what she felt like. But she said a lot of the people in her group that would go to all these crop circles, like specifically felt different types of energy um, going to different ones. Wow. I know. What, where did you watch that documentary for people if they want to watch? Oh yeah. That documentary you, know? you can find on... Is it Gaia? Yeah. Or? It's on Gaia if you okay, just search cool. crop circles. Cool. It's like a light one. I'm like, yeah. I, just, I want to learn about stuff, but like... Totally. Not fucking the Matrix dissolving like <laughs> I know dude. I, I Dylan and I check in every night that's my brother I'm like what mood are you in mm-hmm. like for a little like yeah like do you want to like fuck your brain up totally yeah we've we've gone deep but then we're like I just want to laugh 100% you know yeah gotta check in all right everybody pretty excited about today's re-release of Same. our episode with Alok Vadmenin we spoke to Alok back in September of 2018 And it was just one of those conversations that we talk about to this day when people ask us about guests who have just left a lasting uh, impact on us. And we're very, very excited to re-release. Yeah, they are so beautiful, powerful, kind, heart-centered. And I just found this conversation to be so inspiring. I think you can hear on the interview, Lindsay and I are really excited about our chat. and. I don't know. There were so many different elements of it that were so human and inspiring. And I just felt like this conversation was one of my favorites, you know, possibly that we've ever done where I learned a lot. I left feeling more human. I left feeling more connected. And I just felt more aware of my existence and how my existence affects others. Mm-hmm. Alok is a gender non-conforming performance artist, writer, and educator. And they actually released a book since we spoke called Beyond the Gender Binary, which challenges the world to see gender not in black and white, but in full color. So t- taking from their own experience as a gender non-conforming artist, they show us that gender is a malleable and creative form of expression. The only limit is your imagination. And I just this conversation itself was Mm -hmm. that really stood out to me expression Mm -hmm. liberation in who you are and how you can impact the world and how you can truly like carry yourself in the every day their confidence is unbelievably uh intoxicating Mm -hmm. in the best way and i just I loved, loved how I felt leaving this conversation. They also were talking about feeling the feelings, which we're so about, you know, just coming into our awakening and knowing that our feelings hold vibration. And I really loved how they just 
let it rip, whether mm-hmm. they're in public or whether they're with people and really inspire others to just be more truthful. And I felt like this conversation was so aligned to bring back now even more so because it was the liberation that I'm interested in. And it also is someone that is authentically being true to themselves and just really worried about their own evolution, their own truth and their own liberate, like a liberation again is the word that comes up for me. And I feel like that was something that I wanted to be re-inspired by. Yes. So you can grab their new book, Beyond the Gender Binary, everywhere books are sold. And you can also follow Alok on Instagram, Alok V. Menon. Few orders of business from almost 30 coming up. Get excited for the new year, y'all. Yeah. New year, baby. (laughs) New year, new us. (laughs) New year, new us. We as a team, as a brand have been working really hard on just figuring out a way that we can better connect with you all. This year has taught us so much about the intentionality of connecting with you, whether that happens in person or online. We just want to make sure that you all feel supported, seen, heard, and that we can support each other in our evolution. Um, So we are ready to keep evolving and are working on something special. Can't tell about, can't tell you about it now, but it's uh, coming in the new year. So stay tuned for that. And if you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe to our newsletter. You can go to almost30.com and we will be, you know, tapping into the community, asking you, you know, what you'd like to see and uh, using that to, to create what we're going to create for you. Yeah. And no more events for the rest of the year. Shop almost30.com for all of our workshops on topics like anxiety, human design, et cetera. And then we have all our apparel in our shop. So go check that out for, you know, your conscious evolution this holiday. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Um, All right, y'all. Enjoy this re-release. Please share this with friends, family, Uh, share it on Instagram. We'd love to, we always love to see you sharing episodes. It really helps to, you know, get the word out there and subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you are called to. Enjoy and we'll see you on the other side. See you soon. Sometimes I'm like, let's relax. And then I just scroll Instagram. I'm like, okay, this isn't relaxing. It's not like it doesn't, it doesn't give me like a venom. You know, I'm not like, oh, Instagram. Cause I, I have a fine relationship with it, but I just don't really know how to like, just kick it. Right. Totally. Yeah. I don't either. You're, what do you, it's my heart right now. Yeah, I know. Like what, what do you do? Like, do you just work, start working? I don't know. I mean, and then my response is like, well, my work isn't like real work. It's like my passion. Like it's like my relaxation. But I'm really trying to challenge that too and be like, it's kind of fucked up that I don't just have like pleasure hobbies. Mm. So I'm starting to like try to like get into like other things. So I have been like watching TV, which I never did before. But now I'm like, this is how the rest of the world lives. Like I think about that all the time. (laughs) Yes, about TV. I'm like... I'm like, you could be a little normal and watch more TV. You know, right. like you're going to relate to more people. She probably watch TV. House and all of a sudden I see her just like staring at the screen like she's like a five-year-old. I do because whenever seen. there's a screen on, I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's so bad. But I'm, we're the same. And I, I, about the passion as my business, it's like, I'm passionate about it. This is my calling. I love doing it. But I do think I'm like, I can't be so one-dimensional where I'm only working and I'm only doing this one thing because that doesn't help anyone. Mm, You know, you kind of need to be like exploring other things and doing more than just your passion or your business. Right. That's true. 
Well, we are so excited to have you on um, and have a conversation with you. We just start rolling, by the way. Um, but, you know, for our, um, we have a really vibrant, thriving community that um, is, you know, just really excited. They express to us that they're big fans of yours. And um, so for those in our community that don't know who you are, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure thing. Hey, everyone. My name is Alok, as in tell me a joke, Alok, or a locomotive engine, choo-choo. <laughs> I'm a gender nonconforming writer and performance artist based out of New York City with a lot of feelings and a lot of patterned clothing. Mm. Oh, I want to have a... Yeah, need your I need to have Yeah, I need to have a nice intro like that. That is like <laughs> yeah, fucking a beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> so are you... Where did you grow up? Like what was... So for someone that's has a lot of feelings. You know, I'm a Pisces sun, Scorpio moon. I can, I can relate. I knew we were going to get there in a matter of time. Oh, honey, (laughs) honey. It's like number one. So what are you? I'm a cancer Leo Leo. So not only do I have deep and broody feels, I know how to express them. Oh, I just know how to cry them out. That's like my thing. (laughs) I grew up in a small town in Texas called College Station, Texas. Mm. When you fly into our two-plane airport, it says, welcome to College Station. This is country. And I spent the first 18 years of my life there. And let's just say I was emotionally repressed. But, you know, I really feel like it was like training to take on the entire world. Because once you grapple with that, that level of like, racism, homophobia, emotional repression all together, like everything else. I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> mm, yeah, I know. I have to like take that in for a second. The fact that like your soul was kind of yeah. dropped into a place that is, you know, not yeah. very open and accepting. What was that like? Like from a very young age, what was like your, I guess I, I do want to know too, like kind of how you were raised and were you raised to kind of like, you know, uh, feel those emotions and be expressive about it within the family confines? Like, what was that like? Wow. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, because I think the conventional narrative that I tell is that my family is part of the reason I'm still alive today. And which is not often the case for, I think, a lot of like queer immigrant families um, or, or queer immigrants in terms of our relationship with our families. But I think for me at home, I always had a space to be who I was, even though I didn't have that outside. And my family was always extremely progressive and really like conscious about what was happening in the world. So they always encouraged me to be my truest self. But I think that now that I'm looking back at it, emotions weren't really a part of that. (laughs) So we were encouraged to be creative, but it was only through the purview of like art or like school, but not Mm. like interpersonally. So rather than saying, I feel this, it would be much more like, show me your art piece where you're talking about these feelings in an abstract way. I see. Yeah. (laughs) There was was room for expression, but only when it was confined in an appropriate place for emotions. And I think that as a performance artist, I think about this a lot. You know, one of the things they say in my shows is, in the West, you're taught that performance is when you pretend to be something that you're not. But what I've learned in my life is that performance is where we go to actually be honest. That's why we find the most relatable characters are like TV characters or movie screen characters. They're pretending, but it's real. And I feel like at my shows, um, I create a space for an hour and a half or two hours where people can be honest 
and cry and feel and mourn and love. And it's so ecstatic. But then also I'm like, why did it take a stage for us to have this kind of vulnerability? You know, why do we have to always say, go to the art gallery or go to the stage or go to the runway? And that's where beauty and creativity and emotionality live. And I think what I've really been trying to embody in my life now is performance art is not just about the stage, it's about how I live. Because I think for me, growing up in a small town in Texas, everyone was so emotionally repressed. I never want that energy around me again. So everywhere I am, I try to smile. I try to cry. I try to give extreme acts of emotion just to let people know like I'm here and I'm ready to feel. Oh, that is so beautiful. And can we... So mm. in Texas, could we have some examples for our listeners um, who may not be able to fully grapple what you know emotional oppression may, may be or you know what it was like in Texas? Like as an example, things that you thought of that were like, oh, that was emotional oppression or that was racist or that was um, homophobic or things like that. Right. So we often in, in the South or people from the South uh, speak a lot about like Southern politeness, which is this, like, it's all about maintaining face and um, saying like, bless your heart, you know, even though what you really mean to say is like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you like rewind it and you put it in this sort of like deeply kind of like covert, but still explicit at the same mm. time kind of shit. So I think what that looked like for me is like, we were never allowed to be different at all. So there was like a very uniform idea of like, this is what it means to be a good person. You go to church every single Sunday, not only which church, but it's like there's a whole drama on what kind of church you go to. You're in a Bible study group. You don't date at all. You're not allowed to have sex whatsoever. You have to be um, smart, but also athletic. Like just all these sorts of norms that we're in. And there was no space for you to be erratic, strange, unique, emotional, breaking down, loving, heartbroken, joyous. Like it was all, I think so much of what the violence of the norm is, not just around emotions, but for everything, is that if you are at all on either side of it, you have to be disappeared in order for people to believe that the norm is real. And so, like, I think that growing up in Texas, every time I displayed myself, be that my gender, be that my politics, be that my art, be that my emotions, people would always try to police me back into the norm. And what I try to get people to realize is the norm is just as constructed as everything else. Like it's not natural. Um, it's not natural to, to repress young people's feelings. I think that that's something I talk a lot about in terms of mental health. Like for me, I didn't have a space at all at school or at home to say, I'm experiencing harassment and it hurts. I didn't have anywhere to go and say, like, mm. I'm getting bullied all the time. And so the only place that I could take that emotion was into my art making because right. that was the only space I had to really feel. Oh, wow. Um, you mentioned that, like, you know, you don't want to surround yourself with people like that anymore. But obviously, just being a human and navigating the planet, you're going to come in contact with people who are not as expressive and emotive and just open and feeling everything and open. Um, but do you find compassion for those people? And in what way do you do that? Like what has been like your journey there? Cause I can imagine it's kind of evolved if you, as you've gotten more mature. These are such timely questions. Wow. Um, oh, part thanks. of growing up for me has been really learning to say, compassion doesn't mean I have to be your best friend. Mm. I used to be the kind of person that was like, 
I believe that everyone could be interesting. It's just like we need to spend more time with them. And I have all <laughs> these people in my life who are works in progress, you know, and people who I felt like in five years or three years or even two months would really come into themselves and give me the type of intimacy that I wanted. But then I really did a real assessment of, of the relationships in my life. And I was like, I'm giving and giving and I'm not getting. And I started to realize 2018 for me was the year of reciprocity. It is totally okay to demand emotional reciprocity in your relationships. That's not too high of a standard. And I feel like it was so gendered for me to feel insecure about turning away people when they weren't giving for me. I felt like that meant I was selfish or like I would have no one else. But now I really started to realize when you take out bad energy from your life, there's so much more room for abundant energy. And so what I really did with myself is I said, you know what? There are always going to be people in the world who I have compassion for, but we're just not vibing. And right now, the people who I vibe with are the people who, when I ask, how are you, are saying, okay, I'm working through these things in my life. I just encountered this thing about myself that I'm trying to get better about. Like People who are really self-aware interested in dialoguing about their interiority and also like deeply vulnerable from the beginning. Like I don't want to have to be always begging people in my life to get where I'm already at. Like, mm-hmm. And I understand yes. that like, you know, people have various histories that make it so that it's easier for some people to share than other people. And that's totally right. But I think what I would really ask us is like, why do we feel like it's our work to get people to that place rather than other people's work to prioritize that for themselves? And I've really been on this new tip where I'm like, if I did not create the mess, I can't really clean it. And I need other people to really prioritize their emotional well-being in order for me to have a reciprocal relationship. And before were you... Did you feel like you were kind of like, okay, I'm going to help them see. I'm going to educate them. I'm going to do all of the things to help move them along. Absolutely. I mean, I think that came from growing up in a small town in Texas. Yeah. As you can imagine, there was no one really like me. So the way that I made friends was basically helping everyone else process all their feelings for each other. So I would go to all the boys and I'd be like, Stones has a crush on you, like blah, 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 blah. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should say, whatever. And then I'd go to the girls and like, Stones has a crush. And I was just mediating everyone else's romantic relationships, friendships, all over the place. And so then everyone loved me because of what I could do for them. And I started, it took me a long time in my life to be able to differentiate the people who love me from me versus the people who love me in terms of how I can help them. And that's, wow. that's a really dangerous dynamic I think a lot of women in trans people find ourselves into. But it's like, do you care about me beyond my ability to work for you? Absolutely not. And I was like, you know what? Part of me loving myself as a queer person, as a trans person, is saying I demand the same kind of emotional labor that I give to other people for myself. And that's not too high of an ask. And so I think that I've learned from a really young age how to look big, but act small. Um, so like to like be like super beautiful, flamboyant, aesthetically there, but then have no emotions, no feelings, no needs, no wants, just here to inspire and uplift other people. And now 20 senior for the years for me has been about looking big and being big emotionally. Like literally just when people ask me, how are you? I'm like, well, you know, falling apart. What's up? I think I was so afraid to be considered too much because I knew, mm. I knew that friendship was contingent on me being small. But now I'm all about, this is the year of being too much. We don't have that much time left. I'm just sort of like, I'm going to be too much. And if people are not into that frequency, that's fine. I don't need those people to like me. Yeah. Wow. Amen. Into um, that. 
Yeah, like you being a um, person that people look to for inspiration, for strength and courage, like what does that feel like? And is that even something you want to be like? Of course you want to be an inspiration, but do you know what I'm saying? Where like you are so human that people are focusing on, well, you've got it all figured out. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're really standing in your light and you're trying to say like, I want to be more human. Like Mm -hmm. there's like two things happening there. Mm -hmm. You know, I think this is the moment in feminism that we're in that I really struggle with, which is that we have to be empowered and we have to be strong Mm -hmm. and that people are looking for strong examples to aspire toward. But what we do when we do that is we don't allow people to be human and to be complex. And for me, what I, what I say everywhere I go is like, I'm struggling through the very things that I'm talking about. I'm not outside of the issues that I'm talking about. And you can't just focus on my triumphs. You also need to focus on my tragedies. And yeah. you have to see the full picture of me. Otherwise, you're dehumanizing me and you're making me into an illusion and a metaphor and not a person. And that hurts. And I think for a long time, I didn't know how to speak wow. back against that because I was like, oh, I'm so grateful to be given these opportunities. I'm so grateful to be visible. I'm so grateful to have a platform. But then I started to really think about it. And I was like, oh, wait, people don't understand that the minute that I get off the stage, I'm getting harassed. Or the minute that I get deliver this inspirational keynote for, for you, that I have to go home and on the way home, I'm going to get harassed. Like People don't understand that visibility does not mean safety for women and trans people. And that's something I really have been pushing at when I'm like, okay, what actual safety and worth looks like is so much bigger than visibility. It looks like decision-making power. It looks oh, like yes. um, money. <laughs> it looks like yep. resources. It looks like networks. It's so much bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of the way patriarchy works is that men will give us visibility, but they won't give us infrastructure. And I think that what I started to really think through in my life is I was like, you know what? I'm going to be honest about these dynamics because I've seen so many other mentors that I look up to not be honest and then have mental health breakdowns late into their career where they're like, oh, wait, no one really knows what I'm going through. Or no, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think about like every time that there's a new case with a celebrity who commits suicide or or a popularized drug addiction, people are like, oh, this is so sad. But I'm like, look at how you've been taught to treat people. You reduce people into ideas and not people. You make them only matter in so much as they're inspiring you and not when they're struggling. I don't want that. Mm. And so I'm very upfront on my social media and at my shows, I'm struggling too. And I'm a complex person too. And there are good days and there are bad days and there are joyous days and there are hard days. And if you really love me, then you have to love all of me, not just the parts that inspire you. Mm. What are you struggling with right now? I mean, so many things. Wow. Um, I think one (laughs) of the things that I'm really struggling with, which is very painful, is lack of acceptance for my own community, which is something I haven't really spoken about that much. Wow. Because I think that when you're in a press group, you try to underplay the internal dynamics to have a strong unified front. So we often say like, you know, oh, trans rights matter, like this is amazing, but we never actually unpack the hierarchies within the trans community. And I think what's really important to understand is like, I'm one of the few public facing trans people with the platform that I have access to who has chosen not to be on hormones. And that was a personal decision for me because I felt like who I was was consistent with what I wanted. And I didn't feel like I should have to take hormones in order to have people believe who I already was. But then what I often experience within my own community is trans people saying, 
you're not really trans or you would be really trans if you pursued medical transition. And I understand where that comes from. It comes from their own feelings of invalidation from people telling them that they're not real. But I think part of what I've also been coming into myself is like, I am not a repository for other people's shame. I'm not a placeholder for other people's anxiety. I can empathize, but that does not mean I have to hold. And there's a difference between empathizing and holding. I can sit and bear witness and say, I'm so sorry that these things are happening to you. But that does not give you permission to take that on to me because it hurts. And so I think I've really been struggling with the pain of being hurt by your own, you know, because I feel like it's so easy these days to say, you know, it's like, it's white men who are doing all this stuff, but then we don't have the more difficult conversations. Like what happens when you experience stuff from other women or other trans people or other people of color? Like you don't have that language to be like, what happens when you experience that from a friend, not just like a romantic partner. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of what I've been writing about creatively is trying to understand those forms of pain that are actually the most tremendous, but we don't have the language for them. Like friend breakups are something I think about a lot. Like we have an entire like discourse around romantic relationship breakups, like come over, we're going to have cake, like blah, 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 blah. But like what happens when you have a friend breakup is actually even more devastating in a lot of ways. And we don't have any language to describe or to mourn that or to say, I'm sorry, you're going through that. And so I've started to really, I think, try to really name those kinds of pain that we don't have ceremonies for. You know, like we have funerals when someone dies, but we don't have funerals whenever you look back at your life and say, I used to be more creative. Where did that go? Like we don't, there's so many funerals that we need to be having. There's so many ceremonies we need to be having to say something happened. I hurt, I lost. And we don't have the language for that. And so I think also part of the struggle is how do you, how do you heal when you can't even have the words to describe what the pain is? How do you mourn when you don't even know what you've lost? How do you scream when you don't even remember how? Like that, those are the kinds of struggles I'm trying to really parse out in my life is like, I don't know. And that's where it hurts. On the, the vocabulary and the language thing, that was actually a question that I wanted to ask you was, where did you get your emotional vocabulary? Like you make things so profound and easy to understand and make sense. I could imagine maybe it was having a really difficult time explaining yourself. So you had to make it super crisp and clear, but I would love to hear more about where you get your emotional vocabulary and where people can actually help to improve theirs as well. Right. You know, one of the things that I learned in my life, I started doing these workshops called feelings workshops across Mm -hmm. the world where about two or three years ago, where I began to realize like, our education system doesn't teach us how to process jealousy. (laughs) And these are actually the things that are most instrumental to building a just world is how to hold fear and jealousy and love. And so I, I experienced the death of a loved one in my life. And I realized I didn't know how to process that. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you just like go on to the next day being like, wow, this person who I used to call all the time is gone. And people would say sending love and light. And you just feel so mad because you'd be like, um, what? Like, you don't understand what I'm going through right now. And so I started to realize, like, I want to learn it. I want to teach how to process emotions. I think that is some of the most profound and powerful and substantive work in the world. And through doing these feelings workshops over the past few years, what we basically do is we take about 30 people, mostly strangers. And the only rule of feelings is you can't legitimize what you're feeling. So you just have to say, this is what I'm feeling. You can't say, I'm feeling this because, or I'm feeling like to try to justify or backend or give a caption. And if you do that, we just say pineapple and then we step back and you're allowed to continue. But we say, we know what you're doing. You're trying to rationalize your feelings to make them just. Mm 
Because one of the things I learned through feelings is that when we want to scream and we don't, that scream still goes somewhere. It just goes internal and it becomes self-hatred. That actually you need to express the full course of the emotion. Otherwise, it sticks in you. And so sometimes the emotions that we're experiencing are not what we actually feel and not what we're actually going to do and not actually what we think, but they need to be articulated. And often they need to be expressed in front of other people who can bear witness to that emotion and say, what you're feeling, I totally get it. And then that gives you a sense of closure. So one of the things I learned from feelings workshops is that actually most of the things in the world are incredibly simple. We've just created complex language to disguise what are very simple things like, I'm afraid of dying alone, or I miss my mom, or I'm jealous that you have the life that I wanted. And because we have this idea that maturity equals repressing your emotion, we found all of these like Olympian kind of gymnastic routines to say like, you're problematic because X, Y, Z logic, whatever, when actually what you're trying to say is I'm hurt by you. And so what I really tried to do in my life is realize that actually really complex things are actually quite simple if we really go down to the core. And I think that's what I learned through being an artist is I would write a poem and I would say, what am I trying to communicate? What is the core message or the core emotion that I'm trying to communicate? All the things around it are important, but they're not at the core essence. And so I started to distill what is the core essence of this poem? What is the core essence of the show? What is the emotion that I want people to have? And I bring that into all realms of my life where I receive so many words and I'm like, okay, what are you really saying there? You know? But I think it's part of a bigger thing where like skills that have to do with emotions, skills that have to do with art, skills that have to do with language are never elevated to the realm of real work or like legitimate or like professional because they're not associated with men. And I think that this is something I really try to think through is like things that we dismiss as excessive or superfluous or too much are often, often some of the most profound things in the world. And so much of what my life for is an argument for magic, an argument for art, and an argument for femininity, which are three things that we've been taught to dismiss as weak or not substantive or not forms of knowledge. But what I've learned in my life is that art has literally taught me how to relate to everyone else in the world. Why are we not teaching art to everyone? <laughs> like, why are we told that like, these are the artists and they have these magical skills? No, they don't. We all have these skills if they're nurtured by other people. Creativity is something we all have, you know? And so I think like the long-winded way to answer your question is I think that through my art practice, I've learned that actually nothing is as complex as it seems. And that when you really capture the, the internal core of what you're trying to say, that's how true, meaningful intimacy is created. Mm. What you said about, you know, everyone is an artist. I think like too, even to kind of spread that idea across what you've been talking about, it's like everyone is capable of being expressive in the way that you found, you know, your expression and like emotives, you know, and everyone is capable of anything, of being intuitive, of like, it's just like all inside. It's very just interesting how like, and Krista and I were talking about this um, earlier where it's like, you know, we're born this like pure being and then like, we're just like wrapped up in all of these things and ideas like, and perceptions and whatever. And then, you know, then we kind of have to like, just pull the thread and go back to that just really pure idea of like, we were all born pure right. little babies. 
the idea of gender and like, you know, gender binary and how early on were you aware that, you know, that was not something that you identified with? Sure. So I'd like to say that I was um, falsely assigned male when actually I should have been assigned queen. Because from a young age, I literally (laughs) used to wear all of my sister and my mom's clothing and perform for my local Indian community to the latest Bollywood hits. I would do a drag slash belly dance fusion where I just had no shame (laughs) whatsoever. I would just literally be running around, like screaming, like dancing. And I was totally free. And I only began to experience shame or even understand that that was gendered. And gender and shame were always linked for me because they were about other people projecting onto me saying, that's not right. This is what you should be doing. When I started to go to school, like my mm. family never mobilized that to me. And I think that is, that is why I'm able to do the work that I am able to do today because I had that initial validation from the people closest to me to be like, okay, do you, you know? Wow. And then I went to school and very much it was like, you're a boy, you should be doing this. Like, uh, don't dance. Like I remember when I was younger, I wanted to be a ballerina. I wanted to be a fashion designer. I'm doing all those things now, so whatever. But for a long part of my life, there was like a blank slate where I was like not allowing myself to do any of that stuff. But I only developed the vocabulary to describe what I was and what I was going through much later in my life. And that's the issue is that we don't equip young people with actual, real, comprehensive education about what gender, sexuality, and sex are. And so I always just thought I was gay because that's the only word I have that was available to me. So from a young age, I started to understand myself as gay. And I was like, okay, I can't be gay in the small town because I will die. So I'm going to work as hard as possible in school so I can get into the best colleges out of here where I can express myself in the future. I was really naive and I thought that all of the Bay Area was like San Francisco, like LGBT pride, etc. So I was like, I'm moving to California. And I moved to California and I joined my first sort of gay organizations and I realized like, this is not me either. Like, what? what's going on? And then actually it was like really through reading history that I began to realize who I was because I, I learned that there have always been people outside the gender binary, especially where I'm from in India, and that we actually were once celebrated as holy and mystical. But one of the things that happened is the way that you dominate a people is you criminalize and kill their healers so the people don't even know that they're sick. And so we were the first people targeted often when colonization happened because they knew our power, right? And this is something that I always tell people. The right wing knows queer power more than progressives do. That's why they're passing hundreds of pieces of legislation trying to disappear us from the public. They know that when people are exposed to our power, our brilliance, and our beauty, that is what true freedom would look like. But they teach us to fear the very things that have the potential to set us free. And I know that because I feared my own gender nonconformity. I thought deeply, I remember I had a conversation with a friend when I really started to dawn on me, like, oh my God, I'm not a boy or a girl. Like what? I had a conversation with a friend and I said, I'm scared. I'm scared about what, what this means for my life. I'm scared about the violence I'm going to experience. I'm scared because I don't know what I am, but I'm going to run into the ember. And that's really so much of what my life has been since then. It's like, the things that we fear are often the things that we need to run into and confront. We can't just repress, 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 repress. Because people tell me all the time, like, Alok, you would live such a happier life if you just chose one or if you just looked gender conforming. You wouldn't get harassed. And I said, that's because your understanding of mental health 
means that you just think that physical well-being is about physical safety. For me, happiness, joy, and oneness with who I am matters more to me than my physical safety, which means every single day, even though I do experience harassment on the basis I look like, I can look down at my harassers and say, which one of us is really oppressed here? Because you don't know who you are and I know very solidly who I am. And I've spent a lot of time in my life trying to introspect and figure out who I am. And I'm sorry that you've not had people in your life to encourage you in your journey. Best of luck. And so even though I experience so much harassment and violence now, I'm doing great because I genuinely know that I've done the miracle work of self-discovery when you were talking before about unwrapping all the stuff that's been put on us. I did that. And I, I realized that underneath it all, I am far too complex to ever be encapsulated by gender. Like that's so boring to me, taking billions of people and dividing them into one or two categories, telling them that like they have to follow a set prescriptions of bad fashion, bad emotional advice, putting them oppositional to each other, and then literally grouping them with like, it's, it's wild. It's such a berserk system. <laughs> Holy crap. You're killing it. You're fucking killing it, by the way. I'd also, I just like had this, like, when you said that in your culture, like the, you know, I, know, I want to talk about the Indian healers. Like, I just, I feel like you are so, like, I just feel like you are a human on this earth at this time, at this place that is like, I don't know. I just feel very privileged to be talking to you. Oh, right thank now. you. Yeah. I, no, I, say, I really but... had to sit and think with that where I started to realize, you know what? I have medicine for people. Yeah. And and in this iteration of the world, I have to call it poetry. I have to call it performance art. I have to call it like follow me on Instagram. Like I have to <laughs> convince people that they are sick. And I have to say, what I have to say is your medicine. And I have to tell people over and over again, it's going to hurt. Like healing hurts. I've seen it in myself. Yeah. I have a line in one of my poems where I say, when I look at myself in the mirror and see what I've become, I cannot tell if I'm celebrating or mourning. And that for me, that sense of like destruction and creation are simultaneous. is so central to how I understand the world is that healing is painful. Pain is healing. Mm. These are false dichotomies that we constantly live our lives saying, I don't want to hurt. And so we just play business as usual. And then we're, we're actually end up hurting. Like that's the irony is that I look at the majority of people in the world and I'm saying, you've never done self-work. Like you genuinely don't know who you are or what you feel. And you think that you're happy, but everything is so desperate and ephemeral where you're going to literally buy a new pair of shoes, feel happy for five days. I mean, I love buying new pairs of shoes. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but what I'm trying to fight for is endurance happiness. I'm trying to fight for happiness that's not just about a moment or a transaction and a way of being where no matter what's happening in my life, no matter what the violence I'm experiencing in my life, I look at myself and I say, you better, you know? And I've got there. <laughs> I genuinely feel like I, I've got mm. so far. I mean, obviously we're all works in progress and obviously there's so many things I have to do. But like, I think that the reason I'm so passionate about my message is I've seen what it's done for my own life to be able to reconsider everything that we've been taught. And now when people present a new thing that I didn't know, my reaction is not to clench up and be like, you're wrong. My reaction is to be like, wow, thank you so much for teaching me something about our complex world. I'd love to learn more. You know, like I just have such a different relationship with like difference. Because I think ultimately the reason that I experience violence is because when people see someone like me, they don't know what to think. And then rather than asking, hi, like, can you teach me? They clench up and they try mm. to destroy it. And that's, that's the psychology of fascism. 
which is when we're presented with something that is an alternative way of living, we must destroy it, not live and coexist with it. And I think that what I'm really asking, people mistake what I'm saying to be like, I want everyone to be non-binary. I want every... No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, can you coexist with someone like me in your universe? I don't think so. The current universe means that in order for people to say I'm a man or a woman, they have to mean I'm a man means I'm not a woman and I'm a woman means I'm not a man. And as long as you believe in those oppositionalities, I can exist. Because in my body and in my heart, man and woman are synonymous. And in my body and in my heart, masculinity and femininity are hanging out together. And so in order for you to have that paradigm, I can't be here. What? So we talk about self-discovery and sort of what you've done to to learn more about yourself and to really um, accept who you are. What has that journey looked like? And what books, resources, people, how have you, what have you leveraged to really do that? Sure thing. So I really believe that self-actualization has to happen with other people. I think that like what frustrates me about the conversation about self-care is that it feels like really like individualistic. Like if you just take the best Instagram selfie, you're going to love yourself 30 times harder. Or if you have the right face mask, you're going to have 10 times less self-hatred. Like I think that actually for me, wellness comes from having other people bear witness to your pain and giving you permission to heal. That's how I got better. After I graduated from college, I knew that I had missing in my life other trans people and especially other trans and gender non people of color. And I knew that if I moved back to, the, to Texas, I wouldn't find them. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to move to New York. And I was very clear, I'm going to move to New York to meet people like me. And I spent my first years in New York meeting those people. And through them, I found myself. Like we need to find our own people to be able to find ourselves. I really believe in that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a story as old as queer people is that our families kind of weren't the best for us. And so we had to build our own families. And the types of friendships and love that we build with the people that we choose as our families are unparalleled. Like I often joke, I have access to what all the straight cis people want when they want marriage. They want security. They want intimacy. They want trust. They want romance. I have all of that in my friendships. And that fundamentally destabilizes everything because straight cis people are taught you have to wait to get that when you find the one. What if you could have 10 ones? And what if those people are actually in your life right now? You're just literally saying this kind of love is not as real as this aspiration. But I think that's another exercise that I've learned in my life, which is when you begin to do self-work, you begin to recognize that the things that society dismisses as illegitimate or not real are perhaps the most real things. And I think for me, my healing came from my friendships because I actually developed friendships with people who cared about me, not my ability to inspire or my ability to be used. And when they cared about me, it meant that they were there for me when I was sick. They were there for me when I was traumatized. And they were there for me when I was celebratory. They were there for me when I was successful. And I think that we were teaching each other how to love because our parents didn't do that. We were teaching each other how to trust because our schools didn't do that. And I think through having close friendships with other trans people, I really began to realize like, oh, wait, like I'm cool. Like I'm good. And I really feel like we talk a lot about hurt people, hurting people, but we don't talk about healed people, healing people. And I met people in my life who had done self-work 
and who saw me and were like, you have a lot of stuff to do and really took me under their wing and mentored me. And that's something that was so beautiful. And what I really try to do in my own art practice now is one of my favorite things about being a touring artist is all across the world, I get to collaborate with other trans artists. And I'm very intentional about this where I try to make sure every single show that I have I try to curate another trans person to work with me. And I don't just work with them on the stage. We get coffee together. We're hanging out. We're talking about our practices. And I'm trying to like actually share everything that I've learned with other people. That's central to why I'm an artist. Is I feel like I've learned all these things from whatever reasons, school, books, friends, whatever. And I don't want to be the only one knowing them. Like I want everyone to know everything that I know. When I encounter a new idea... I run and I tell everyone. I remember when I was younger in Texas, knowledge was a way of having mobility when I couldn't have physical mobility. I was trapped in a small town where no one looked like me. And so my head had to become the space that I went to travel galaxies. And I remember I would just in the middle of the night watch like Nova documentaries online about like the universe or like black holes. And I remember just going, whoa, like that's always been part of my creative practice is like I have so many questions. And I run to them rather than running away from them. And that's why that's where I think healing comes from is ask yourself, what are the questions that you are really seeking answers for? And then become comfortable that the answers might be other questions. And that's what healing is. When you're comfortable that the life's most existential questions will just be answered with another series of questions. And you can smile at all those questions and be like, I don't know who I am. And that's a joyous thing. Mm-hmm. What have you learned from other people in the trans community um, that has made like a, a really big impact on you? One of the things that trans community, especially, I mean, when I first moved to New York, I, I got the opportunity to politically organize with a lot of elder trans women of color. These were folks who were at the Stonewall riots in 1969. They knew people like Sylvia Vera, Marsha P. Johnson. They've been organizing and working for trans liberation for 30, 40 years. And one of the things they used to tell me is like, it used to be so unsafe for us that we'd put bricks in our purses because if we would ever say, this person's attacking me, no one would believe us. So we had to defend ourselves. And they talked about how in New York City, where it used to be legal to wear more than two articles of clothing that were different than what your assigned sex was. So they would constantly be thrown into prison just for simply walking down the street. It was seen as a crime to be visibly gender non-conforming in public. But then they would say... I would dust off my heels and I would go right back outside and do it again. And what that taught me is dignity. You can only experience the full severity of prejudice if you believe in the person who is being prejudiced to you. But what I think the trans tradition has taught me is the very people who are hating you are people who don't even see your humanity. So why does it matter that they hate you? (laughs) And so now I've really learned how to literally coexist with knowing Mm. there are a lot of people in the world who don't like me a lot of people in the world who want me to die, a lot of people in the world who call me ugly. I don't care because I know who I am and I have my own dignity. And that sense of dusting off your heels and going back and bouncing back is so central to me, is how do I preserve my dignity? I may not have safety. I may not have infrastructure. I may not have vocabulary. I may not have all these things that I want and deserve to have. But what I have is something that they do not have, which is dignity. And that's why I ask my audiences across the world, are you living a dignified life knowing that people like me are dying? That's not a dignified position. And is it dignified knowing that the very people who could be teaching you how to be free are the people who are being punished right now, incarcerated right now, deported right now? That's not a dignified life. I'm not asking you to help me because I need to be helped. 
I'm asking you to help me because you need to be helped because there's no dignity in your life and a world where your gender project is so fragile that me existing with lipstick and a beard invalidates everything that you think the world is. Like that's pretty pathetic on you, not on me. And so I really learned from trans people that like we become we become repositories for everyone else's anxieties. If people were really cool with us, they could be able to look at us and be like, okay, cool. I don't want to look like you. That's cool. Want to go get a coffee? But right now, people look at us and they're like, ah, and we begin to realize they want to be us. That's the secret that I learned from trans people is that the people who bully us want to be us. The people who are most injurious to us are the people who are most injured. The people who pretend to be the most strong and confident are actually the most weak and fragile. It's actually the people that they demean as weak who are the most strong. And I think that learning from intergenerational trans people taught me like my strength comes from within. And my strength comes from the places that they think are not strong. My armor is my lipstick and my glam. Like people think that I get dressed up for them. Please. I get dressed up and I look in the mirror and I say, wow, I'm superior. And I go outside and then people harass me and I just laugh because I'm like, don't you see that I'm superior? So I've learned (laughs) how to celebrate all these things that our culture dismisses as like ridiculous. Like I really, really am a strong advocate for aesthetics as political resistance. What I mean by that is how are we supposed to create a new world if we don't know what it looks like? And so much of what I'm trying to do in my art is to show people gender nonconformity is beautiful, is transcendent, is evolving, is dynamic, is buoyant, is all of these things. I need to visualize that to people because the only representations we have of gender nonconformity is we're like the villain in Little Red Riding Hood, like grandma, what hairy arms you have. Like we've been taught to fear, like we're this tragic, woeful, like everyone stay away from that. The tragic, like, oh gosh, they're so ugly. And then I'm just literally looking at that and I'm like, who's ugly here, baby? Because I have dignity and I think that's more beautiful than any of these products that you're putting on your face to look more like Barbie and Ken. So being harassed, feeling unsafe. Can you, I kind of want people to know like a little bit what that's like so they can understand more about it. So can you shed a little bit of light into that? Absolutely. Um, it's really important to understand that people like me who are gender nonconforming cannot leave our houses in almost every single country in the world without fear of being bashed. That's the level that we're at. That we literally are told by the mainstream media that we are just snowflakes, we're just having feelings and we're not real. And then concurrently are experiencing the highest rates of physical, sexual, and economic violence than ever before. Violence against gender nonconforming people has escalated in the past few years. We have higher rates of murder. And the issue is that when we're murdered, we're misgendered when we die. So we don't actually have the data to even describe what murder looks like against us. Because people will look at the dead body and say, that's a man or that's a woman, without actually saying the reason that that person was attacked is because society was perceiving them as gender nonconforming. So for me, when I walk down the street in New York City, which is allegedly one of the most progressive LGBT-friendly cities in the world, I'm routinely spat on, I'm laughed at, I have people take photos of me without my consent, they post these photos online saying, what the fuck is that? This is disgusting. I have people push me, I have people try to push me in front of trains, I have people throw trash at me, I have people grope me, I have people of all genders sexually assault me. I'm often stalked, I often have people Um, following me for blocks. I have to really be prepared that anything could escalate at any moment. That's just in person. 
When I post a photo of myself online, oh. it often gets shared to conservative and feminist groups. That's really important to name. Where I'm told that I am a man masquerading as something that I'm not, that I deserve to die, that Hitler should have won, that I should have been burned, that I have a disorder, that I'm disgraced, that I should be punished, that I should be murdered, that I should be raped. This is just simply for taking a selfie of myself. And this is the daily reality, right? Like this doesn't just happen once. This happens every single day. And when I speak about this, people are often shocked. But then I'm like, I want you to ask yourself, the reason there are not more people who look like me is not because we're a minority. It's because it's so scary to actually Mm. exist as a gender non-conforming person that people have to make choices every single day. You have cis women who make choices to shave because they know that if they walk outside with hairy legs, there's going to be a different degree of harassment. You make cis men have to say, I'm not going to put on any makeup. I'm not going to wear a dress today. That wearing a dress and putting on makeup has nothing to do with people's gender identity. People could still be men or women and be gender nonconforming, but they're choosing not to be because they know what kind of judgment and violence is going to happen because of that. And so I think that it's really important whenever I speak about harassment or gender nonconforming people to say, like, we're in a state of emergency. And that especially under this administration, it's worse than ever. And it's very scary out here. But I think that what I really remind myself every time I'm walking down the street and I'm getting harassed is I remind myself I am part of a legacy. It might feel like I'm doing this alone. I might feel like I'm the only one experiencing this. But across time, there have been people who went outside and said, confront it, confront your self-hatred, confront your isolation, confront your fear. This is not about me. It's about you. So as long as I exist on this earth, I will hold a mirror to the world. And I will say, why are you so agitated by my freedom? Like, this is not actually about me being wrong or deviant or having a disorder. This is about you being wrong and deviant and having a disorder because you actually don't know who you are. If you really knew who you were, you would be able to see me and just move on. Mm. I, I think about, you know, kids who are still, you know, in those small towns and grew up like you did. Have you met or been, you know, contacted by those, those younger generations? And um, if so, like, what is, what is kind of the general, you know, pain and the dialogue going on? And what do you think, like, we can do, you know, like I just, I, I can imagine, and I don't know the stats, so forgive me, but like that the suicide rate is right. It's extreme, extreme. Yeah. So like, what is like your hope? Yeah. I mean, part of what's been amazing about my job and my life is I get to connect with people like me all across the world of all ages. And I get to also connect with really rad parents who like take their kids to my events or my shows and be like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but Mm. I'm here. And those moments are so, I love those moments more than anything where I have people come to my shows, like core and families. I'm like, wow, you're really, you're really trying to do something different. People are experiencing a lot, a lot of harassment. Just in Oklahoma, a few weeks ago, there was a 12 year old who used a restroom consistent with the gender that she identified as. And parents found out about this and started to send murder threats to this 12 year old child. So they had to cancel school for two days. And now this family of this child is having to flee to a different state, right? This is not, this is affecting people of all ages. And it's really scary out there. And this is having, of course, significant ramifications for mental health. 
rates of suicide are on the rise. Rumor had it, and community sort of dialogue had it, that after Trump was elected, close to 10 young trans people committed suicide. And these are the decisions that a lot of people are having to make as we keep on electing these explicitly anti-trans, not anti-LGBT. And that's a really important note to make. The current administration is explicitly anti-trans, has disappeared transgender from the CDC, has banned trans people from armed services, has passed consistently legislation that will allow people to discriminate on the basis of religious preference. Who are the people most likely to be discriminated against are trans and gender concurring people because we don't need our partners present for people to know that we're queer. We enter in the room and people say, I don't like that. We're the most visible on the streets and the most invisible in LGBT organizations and conversations and media campaigns. So what I say that we can do to change it, because it's not all bleak, I mean, there's amazing resistance happening, is that at every single level, we need to challenge gendering arbitrary things. So for example, when we say, oh, you cut your hair, you look so masculine today. Like, what? (laughs) Or when we ask our cousin, is that a boy or a girl you're having? Like, what? Why can't we ask, is your child healthy? Like, hello? Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's so many other questions to be asking that the root of this violence is that we have to constantly gender every single thing and make them oppositional. So masculinity has to be something separate than femininity. Second is to encourage ourselves and other people to be fluid and experimental. The thing is, is that actually we're constantly changing and evolving like we talked about. The current moment is that we have to say, what do you identify as? As if that's what you have to be your entire life and that's your internal truth. People change when we meet new people and encounter new ideas and that's fine. So if people in your life are starting to actually move one other way, say, that's awesome. Congratulate them. Say, that's really cool that you're working on that. Is there anything I can do to help you figure yourself out? Like To create a different culture around experimentation where we don't shame people for being like, I don't really know. Like Some of my favorite moments are when people come to my shows and they say, like, this is the first time I'm wearing a dress or this is the first time I'm wearing a chest binder. I'm trying it out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, awesome, cool, try it out. Create more spaces where people can really try it out. I, I do shows sometimes where we just have makeup and dresses at the venue And then anyone who's there could just try it on for the first time. And don't shame people to be like, oh, is that your Halloween costume? Or, oh, are you playing pretend? Or are you dressing up? We constantly dismiss people's legitimate figuring it out as just like a ploy or a trap or like trying to be still. I think the third thing is to really fund and resource trans and gender nonconforming activists, artists, and organizations. What's important to understand is that after marriage equality was realized in the United States, the majority of LGBT, or shall I say LGB donors, stopped donating to LGBT organizations. And now LGBT organizations are ill-equipped to actually confront the widespread wave of transphobic anti-trans legislation because there's no funding for them. And a lot of the funding priorities move to funding globally because people say, oh, we got success in the US, we're progressive here. So what's important to understand is that with little to no resources, we're facing what is statistically one of the worst moments in history to be trans. So one of the things that we can really do is to invest our time, resources, and energy for local organizations that are working on behalf of trans people. And it's important to specify and ask the organizations we support, are you working for trans people? Because many LGBT organizations are just actually working for cis gay people. This doesn't have to look like money. It looks like every single winter, I donate a bunch of my clothes to the local LGBT homeless shelter. It looks like wherever I am, I try to figure out like, okay, are there some volunteer hours that I can put in just to like do something here? That we all have a way to give back to the community. And no matter how 
successful or safe we may, may be in our life, we have to remember that there are people who don't have access to the things that we have. And we should be measured less by our successes and more by how we give back. Mm. So, we just so love good. you. Yeah, you're you're <laughs> fucking you're gonna take over the world, honestly. <laughs> yeah. In a good way, honey. Okay, what are you excited about? What what's like what's like really good? Like we talked about what's what's yeah. hard, what's really good. Okay, I'm just gonna be real. My Instagram over the next few weeks is gonna be popping because I Fuck have yes. gotten these photos back from a lot of photo shoots that I did over the uh, summer. And I'm just really excited because I really did that. Like I look at these photos and I'm like, wow, like I, she doesn't have a modeling contract, but literally they are such a model. I'm just like, hashtag book me. New York Fashion <laughs> is coming on. Hashtag book me. You have the hashtag best circle, right the here. Best Instagram circle of anyone in the world. You, know, Truly. you have the number one Instagram circle. Thank like, you. With your little profile, number one. Thank you. So I'm just letting people know that I have some amazing looks coming up. So prepare yourself. There's going to be the forecast reads extreme and incredible fabulosity and superiority. Get into it. (laughs) Um, What else I'm excited about? I'm really trying to create more time to write this year. I've been doing a lot of touring and traveling, which feels awesome. But I feel like I really need to go back into my heart and pull out some stuff. So get ready because I'm really working on a lot of the things we've talked about. I really want to create poems about to create the vocabulary for the kinds of encounters we find ourselves in and cannot mourn or grieve or celebrate. Like I think that is the job of an artist is to give the image or give the word for people to actually understand what they're going through in their lives. And I feel like I really want to write. I just am feeling this deep passion to really create, especially amidst so much destruction, to really create beauty. Mm. beauty. And sometimes beauty is painful, but to really put that beauty out there. I mean... You know, I'm going to probably be coming to a city near you sometime soon. Like, I always say, like, I'm not going to travel. But then I'm like, wow. I know. That always happens to us, too. We're like, we need grounding. And then we're like, but but this thing. What's next? No, I hold multitudes. I can relax on a plane, you know? So it's like, whatever. I can make it work out. I'm just really, I'm feeling like really confident about what I'm doing and who I am. And I want to bring that to as many people as possible. And so I'm just always trying to get new opportunities that allow me to get my word out there, which is a way of saying, thank you so much for using your platform to feature me as well. When I got the invitation, I was like, I'm still under 30. Thank you so much. (laughs) For a little, a little while longer. I just turned 27. I'm about to enter my Saturn return. Wow. I'm extremely scared. Honey, I think you've already done a hundred Saturn returns. Literally. Like, I, mean, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know what your, the universe is going to throw I'm at me. I'm like scared. Your soul like, is like The fact H9. that you haven't been through a Saturn return yet. What? <laughs> like, there, what really else could scared. you learn? No. I don't know, but like something is going to happen. I feel, I feel it on my bones. I'm like, okay, the world has already offered me so much. Like, come on. But I think mm. something's really going to come in. Na- so I guess we have something, we have that to look forward to is Alok negotiating their Saturn return. What's going to happen? Yes. There's going to be a lot of emotional Facebook statuses. Prepare yourself. Yes. Get your Kleenex ready. That was not a sponsored post by Kleenex, but I wish it was. So hashtag <laughs> Kleenex. Contact me. I should we be show your emotions. Hashtag show your emotions oh, at Kleenex. Thank you. Imagine Honey. a collaborative project between me and Kleenex about getting people across the world to cry in public. What if I just like, I went up to people on the street? I yes. said, you so miss your dead dog. And then they cry. <laughs> I'm like, Kleenex, here. <laughs> or like, it would be like you like doing your thing and like the harassment, it's like confronting the harasser and like getting real about right. like, what I it like. Like what's I'm really, really I mean, one of the things I've been really posting and being more honest about is like, I feel some sort of way 
that all of these brands are not reaching out to gender non-conforming people because we are the original advertisers. Everyone's already looking at us on the streets. So you think they won't look at what we're wearing too? Hello? And oh so this is also my year setting my intentions. New York Fashion Week coming up. All Love. Like invest in us and invest in representation that will make people uncomfortable. That like is such a motherfucking opportunity. And it's like, what? It's not, it, that's the that's truest thing I've ever opportunity. heard. Right. What do you do? Like, I guess last thing for clothes, like what are your favorite brands based on that? Because you know, right. like I, you haven't, have you seen any that really support you? So what brands so do you go to? That I always want to uplift and support. Um, in terms of clothing, I tend to find a lot of my stuff secondhand or I design it myself. And that's often because most mainstream fashion companies just are so binary in their sizing that it's so hard to find things that fit me right. So I'm always just trying to find like a collage of things to make it work for me. But some brands that have really, I've been really uplifting and really celebrating are my friends at Ciro Shoes. That's S-Y-R-O Shoes. They make gender neutral heels, which I love because I always felt like Cinderella being like, why is the shoe too small. But Mm. now I finally have heels that are literally big enough for my big foot over here. It's amazing. I'm saying I need Taylor Swift to do something usable with her career and to make a tweet that says size 14 shoes for the drag queens. Like give back to the world, Taylor. Okay. (laughs) Then the second company. She would never. (laughs) F-L-U-I-D-E. Fluid is an amazing Mm. gender neutral makeup company that is actually featuring gender neutral beauty and models in all their lipsticks, all of their campaigns. I think that's so powerful to say that anyone can use makeup regardless of your gender. And then another one that I always want to say is shout out to the Fluid Project, P-H-L-U-I-D. The Fluid Project is the first ever gender neutral store with a physical location in New York City. And what ends up happening is these brands get started and then people don't support them and they have to go. And then people think that this is not a viable market. But what I'm trying to get people to realize is gender free. I don't call it gender neutral. It's gender free. Fashion and beauty is for all people. It's not just for non-binary people. Like all of us have struggled to find clothing that fits our body types. We deserve to have clothing and beauty and accessories that are actually celebrating beauty and not just gender. Mm. Wow. Preach, honey. Well, thank you so much. I just like you radiate Mm -hmm. so much like just physical beauty and also your energy and like that because you are just so comfortable with yourself. It's just like such, mm-hmm. I don't even know. I'm just like blown away. So thank you so much. Thank um, you so much for having me. I know me. it's a lot of pressure, but there's no more, there's no better person than you are so educated and so enlightened. And I cannot believe you're going through your set of return. <laughs> really it's scared. like you've done a hundred. Call us. Honey. Wow, we maybe scared of what? To, scared of what? Gonna... You literally are scared to leave your house. Like, honey, <laughs> you can do a hundred really set of returns. In like two and a half years, right? Right when it's over, I'll just let you know how it goes because like, who knows? I could literally look back to this podcast and be like, remember when you thought that you were strong and powerful? Lies! <laughs> Fake news. My self-empowerment, everyone. That was a joke. Like, that was like, no, I don't know. Oh but you know, God. here's the thing. I will close on this one. I'm always about a good close. What I've learned in the world is that we constantly try to control the things that are external to us, but we can't control them. What we can control is the things internal to us. Crisis is inevitable, but the way that we respond to crisis is not. And what I'm trying to change in my life is like, okay, Saturn turn, bring it on, baby, because I am ready. I have prepared myself. I have my emotional bunker down. I have my friends down. I know what I'm allergic to. I know what I'm into. Bring it on. And I am going to meet you with my seven inch purely functional 
platform heels, an amazing superior outfit, 17 prints that you didn't think went together, 17 genders you didn't think went together, smiling and ask you for a selfie. Thank you. Oh, honey. <laughs> you got a standing O, baby. Oh. Thank you so much. I'm all about a good ending. Oh my God. I thought you were going to say seven and a half inch dick. <laughs> I you was know, like, whatever. Dream, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you, thank so, you so much. So, so thank much. you. Where can people connect with you? Yeah. Um, okay. I think the best place because I'm addicted to social media is I social know. media. So follow me on Instagram at Great. at a-L-O-K-V-M-E-N-O-N. And you can follow me on Facebook too, but like that's not as fun. So just follow yeah. me on Instagram. Yeah. Okay, we got cool. you. You're the best. Thank you so much, Alok. Thank we you. Love you. Have we a love great you. day. You Have too. a good one. Bye, honey. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alok. Appreciate you all tuning in for this re-release. Have a beautiful Thanksgiving this week. Yeah. Enjoy the holidays. If you need some support, we're always here. You can DM, DM us on Instagram, Almost 30 Podcast. We actually have video now on YouTube. So come see your girls. And then also share with friends. So this is how we've grown. This is how our community um, has grown. And this is how a lot of people support one another, which is by sharing podcasts. So would love for you to share with friends. We are always excited to meet new people. Shopalmost30.com. You can find conscious workshops apparel, downloadables, everything that's good. And then you can find me on Instagram if you want to connect. I'm at It's Krista. And I'm at Lindsay Simsek. We'll see you on Thursday. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.